Hey, I'm Eric Huffman. I'm the lead pastor of The Story Houston, a new church taking shape right now inside the loop of the world's greatest city. For the months of May and June, we're gonna be talking about friendships and the importance of friendships. You know, when we were kids, we all knew friendships were incredibly important. We grew up though, didn't we, and something changed. We started prioritizing other things over friendships. But you know, that's not really the way the Bible says life should work. The Bible actually says that being a good friend is as important as being a good spouse or being a good parent. I hope that this series of sermons and this sermon in particular inspires deeper conversations between you and your friends that help you build the kinds of friendships that last a lifetime. We have talked a lot about how friendship makes your life better. Friendship gives you a longer life, statistically speaking. Friendship helps you heal from illness quicker. Friendship gives you a fuller life. Friendships hold you accountable, help you grow more. All the good things that friendship offers you. But I kept hearing as I talked to some of you about this friendship series and what it's meant to you, uh, I, I kept hearing the same kind of theme, which is what happens when friendship goes south? What happens when a relationship takes a wrong turn uh, and, and, and there's conflict? And there's disagreement. And not just like about, uh, you know, where to have uh, dinner. This is not, this is not an El Tiempo versus Escalante's kind of, uh, you know, uh, disagreement. This is serious. And some of you <laughs> Houstonians get serious about your, you know, Tex-Mex stuff. But I'm getting more like serious. I'm talking about deep division. When there's conflict, when there's pain, when there's hurt, when there's loss, when there's betrayal. Uh, what happens, what happens then? Uh, as one girl in a, in a chapter, she's in her 20s, and I, I visited her chapter, she said, how do you know when it's time to break up with a friend? You ever broken up with a friend? How did you know it was time? There's no ground rules for breaking up with a friend, are there? There's no, you don't lawyer up and go to court, and there's no proceedings uh, there's nobody gets served anything, you know, uh, friendships are, they don't work that way. So how do you know when it's time to break up with a friend? Uh, especially as followers of Jesus, if, if that's where you are in your journey of faith. How do you know, biblically speaking, when it's okay, when it's appropriate, when it's time to end a relationship? And then how do you actually go through with that? So her question really uh, made me think. I think we have a lot of, uh, of work to do uh, on this topic today. And so we're going to spend one more week talking about platonic um, friendships. Um, and, uh, and this is important because uh, there just aren't many helpful rules and guidelines out there for you and your friendships. And I love you. I care about you. And I, I want what's best for all of us here in our relationships. So uh, even though there aren't a lot of ground rules out there in uh, culture, society, for ending a friendship, I think that is why uh, God created the internet. <laughs> because in these serious, profound life choices, like ending a friendship, an inner circle friendship, uh, the internet is just full of, it's full of, what's it full of? Uh, it's Full of ideas, let's call it ideas, like these ideas that I kept finding in these articles online in reputable, reputable websites, news sites. The Huffington Post, for example, has a lot of articles about when it's okay to break up with a friend. And I kept seeing articles like one that says, eight signs that it's time to break up with a friend. 
And the number one sign that it's time to break up with a friend, according to the Huffington Post article, was if you and your friend are having more negative moments than positive ones. And it's time to break up with your friend. How many of you would have any friends left if at some point in the journey you broke up with a friend with whom you had more negative moments than positive ones for a season? Uh, That was the number one reason. The number three reason that this author gave was if your friend doesn't contribute enough to your happiness. This makes my blood boil, I'm sorry, but this, this is ridiculous. She said if your friend isn't, isn't fun enough, or doesn't make you laugh enough, or doesn't listen to you well enough, then you have permission, you have a right to break it off because your happiness matters more than your friend. And then number eight on her list of eight reasons to break up with a friend, and this is the one she said is the most important, it's the deal breaker of all deal breakers for friendships. Number eight was if your self-esteem is negatively affected by your friend, if your friend negatively affects your self-esteem, it's time to break it off. I often ask for amens, but this, I'd, I'd like to just ask for a give me a break. Can, you, can somebody here give me, a, give me a break? Give me a break. This, this is crazy, right? You see how bizarre and insane this is. Please tell me. You understand how crazy it is that these are the guidelines for when to break it off with a friend. But listen, this article I found, these eight signs, it's not a standalone deal. It's, it was shared thousands of times online. It was seen by tens of thousands of people, and it's one of hundreds others that are out there if you just search for this topic. Another article that I found that was posted on several sites was an article written by a self-love coach. That's right, a self-love coach named Jennifer, who I presume her friends call Jen because I'm a self-love coach, and you can call me Jen. And... She said the number one reason why you should break up with a friend is if your friend is critical of you. If your friend is critical of you, it's time to call it quits. I hope we all can see how ludicrous this is. And the only reason I point any of this out is just to illustrate how clueless our culture is about the true nature of friendship. There's really no good advice out there for people Uh, to deal with conflict in our relationships. Because all that we base our relationships on is if you are happy enough when you're around your friend, or if you feel good enough when you are around your friend. And you, you have the right to break it off if they hurt your feelings or say something that probably was true, but you just didn't want to hear, and it made you feel bad about yourself for a minute, God forbid. But look, Your feelings are not the indicator of your relationship's health. And that's the favorite thing, my favorite thing I've ever said to you guys. Your feelings are not the indicator of your relationship's health. Would you look at the person next to you and say, your feelings... You guys are not into this with me. you got to work on me. Your feelings are not the indicator of a relationship's health. 
Good Lord, I could just leave right now and be pleased with the day's proceedings. I'm done with this sermon. This is the greatest revelation ever. You need a friend who will be honest with you. You need friends who you can trust enough to be courageous with you and tell you what you need to hear. Because the role of friendship isn't to always make you feel good about yourself. The role of friendship is to make you a better version of yourself. And sometimes that will feel great. Other times it'll feel like hell and it will hurt because that's what it means to grow sometimes. Now in popular culture, obviously there's a lot of horrible advice about uh, friendship and when to stay and when to go. But what's the alternative for those of us who believe in scripture, who believe in God, who follow Jesus? What biblical advice is there for when to stay and when not to stay? Uh, unfortunately, there's not a lot of like, clear instruction about when to hold on to a friendship, an inner circle friendship, and when to let it go. I could cherry pick a few verses here and there, and I could make the biblical case that all your friends should be Christians who believe everything you believe. Uh, and if they don't, then you need to cut ties with them and let them go. But I don't really think that's what the Bible says in its entirety. I could cherry pick a few other passages from scripture and say you should always accept your friends no matter what they do and how offensive and egregious their lifestyle choices are and all this stuff and you should just accept it and be a doormat because that's what love is. But I don't think that's what the Bible says in its entirety either. Somewhere though, that we know that there is that line. The Bible does make allowances for friendships to end, for you to call it quits with a friend. This happens numerous times within the Bible's uh, stories, right? But finding that line requires thought. God gave us our minds to think through these things. God gives us the Holy Spirit to discern these things and to use the Bible uh, and to interpret the Bible as such. And so I think we can find that line if we uh, look for it. I think there are a few ways that the Bible gives us to determine when it's time to end a friendship. I want to go over some of these with you. You can use your study guides to um, follow along if you would like to. Um, and you see uh, the front of that study guide uh, kind of, uh, it begins with the proverb, Proverbs 27, which is kind of a focus verse for today, which is faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. There are a few ways that I think the Bible gives allowances for friendships to come to an end. The first thing I want to talk about is that it is okay to consider breaking up with an inner circle friend when all you ever do together is sin. <laughs> now, I looked for a nicer word than sin. We're trying to reach and speak to non-religious people here, and sin doesn't really say much to them. Uh, it's kind of a churchy word. But I can't help feeling like this is the best word to describe what I'm trying to get across. And we all have that friend who no matter how much progress we're making, no matter how well we're doing to stay on the straight and narrow path, no matter how we're turning our life around, 10 minutes with that friend and we're right back where we began. You could go to church for a year. You could be a Sunday school teacher, sing in the choir, put a robe on every week. You could apply for seminary, sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and serve breakfast to the homeless on Saturday mornings for a year. And then you spend half an hour with that one friend and you're back to being a lazy, you know, uh, agnostic, like <laughs> glutton again, right? And back to 
your old habits because you get into that same habit, that same rut with that same friend. And it's really hard to, de to describe or define how that happens. I don't know how it happens. Your mom would say it's your friend's fault because that friend was a bad influence on you and always has been. That's what your mom would say because she's biased in your favor. Your dad would say, no, it's probably him. You know, like, uh, like <laughs> if your mom and dad are like mine, your dad's a little more realistic, a little more uh, even keel about this. But the truth is, it's not either one of your fault, really. It's just that the two of you got into this pattern, into this rut together. And every time you get together, you make the same bad choices together. And uh, sometimes uh, these relationships need to end. Some of you, if you grew up in the church, or maybe you've heard in a secondhand way, the phrase unequally yoked. This is a phrase from the New Testament, from 2 Corinthians chapter 6, where the Apostle Paul is teaching the first Christians about relationships. And he says, do not find yourselves unequally yoked with people who cause you to sin. And uh, some of your youth pastors and things like that, they use this phrase to tell you that all of your friends and anyone you date should always be born again Christians. And I think it's possible to interpret it that way. But the way I look at it is a, a little uh, different. I think, I think it's about looking at each friendship and determining whether that friendship is a relationship that pulls you and nudges you closer to God, closer to God's will for your life, or that, that, that pulls you further away from God and his will for your life. And I really don't think it's just about religion. Because I can tell you from experience that a, an honest friendship with a, with a big-hearted agnostic can nudge you closer to your relationship with God than a relationship with a, a hard-hearted Christian can sometimes. So we don't have to draw those lines so clearly. Sometimes we don't know, uh, you know, uh, based on religion, where someone's heart is at. But it does take an honest accounting for uh, each relationship that we are in. And an honest assessment of uh, that rut that we can get in, where sometimes we just perpetuate one another's bad choices. When that happens, it might be time for a separation, even if it's... A momentary one, some space, you know, with a friend, with that one friend. <laughs> Unless, and with each one of these points, I'm going to offer a little bit of a, a rebuttal or a caveat and say that's true unless... And in this case, the unless is the two of you are determined to be changed and transformed together. Because sometimes that person that you've been down that path with again and again in life, making those same wrong choices again and again, sometimes that person is the only person in the world that understands your proclivities, understands your temptations, understands your weaknesses. And if you both simultaneously believe and agree to this kind of accountability and this kind of new beginning, sometimes the two of you are best suited to hold each other accountable and grow going forward. Does that make sense? So sometimes that's a friendship you hold on to, but both of you commit and covenant together to make new choices and intentionally make a new beginning together. Sometimes that, sometimes that really works. Other times it doesn't and you have to move forward. But look, I just don't want us to miss that opportunity to be transformed together. Last week in the friendship video that, uh, that we showed in worship, and now it's, it's online, it's on our website, thestory.church, and on our Vimeo page. That friendship um, video highlighted uh, two friends who now uh, worship 
together every Sunday here at the story, and they're very active in the story's ministries. Um, but that's not how their friendship began. Their friendship began at the club, and then it continued at another club, and it continued at another club, and uh, that's just how their friendship uh, unfolded. And that was the rut that they got in together. Every time they got together, that's what they did. They drank, they partied, they danced, and, and they did karaoke, I guess, uh, based on what they've told me. But, like, you know, uh, they don't remember much of it. But I, so I've talked a lot in this series about how friends pick each other up off the floor. These two friends literally <laughs> had to pick each other up off the floor at several different points in their friendship. But it got so bad that one of them had to make some changes. And she had to make different choices in order to keep her life together. And it had gotten pretty ugly. So she decided she was going to stop drinking, stop partying. She was going to find a church and she was going to get into recovery. Now, their friendship could have ended right then and no one would have said anything about it. Everyone would have kind of expected that because their whole friendship was based on that party scene. But little did she know that God had already been working on her friend's heart too and that he was ready to go on that transformation journey with her. Now he said it was because he loved her and he wanted to support her in her transformation, but he wanted transformation too. And so together they began to replace alcohol with exercise. They replaced the club with the story Houston, which is a major upgrade. And, <laughs> and they're here every week. Worshiping together, being transformed together, and if you had known them a year ago, and then the next time you saw them was now, you may not even recognize the two of them, because they agreed to mutually be transformed together and hold themselves and each other accountable in that transformation. And so, yes, it's good to consider ending a friendship that just gets you in that same old rut, unless the two of you can seek transformation simultaneously. The second thing I want to say is that Sometimes uh, it's appropriate to think about ending a relationship, a friendship, uh, when God calls you in a new direction. Sometimes God's call will get in the way of some things, but it's often an irresistible call. Sometimes friendships end because God calls you to do something your friends don't want to do or go somewhere your friends don't want to go. A few weeks ago, I talked about a guy named Barnabas. Actually, his name wasn't Barnabas. Uh, Barnabas was a nickname that meant the son of encouragement because Barnabas was an encourager. Barnabas was responsible for Paul becoming the, the Apostle Paul. Like, he was responsible for Paul answering God's call to the extent that he did. And Paul, we know, one of the most influential people, not only in Christian history, but in Western civilization. Paul wrote 13 books in the New Testament. And Barnabas, in many ways, is the reason why. Barnabas encouraged Paul and lifted him up. And they became friends. They were really close friends, best of friends. They traveled all over the, the region, starting churches. What you may not know is that in Acts 15, Paul and Barnabas broke up. And it's not real clear that they ever made up. This is the story and how it happened. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, come, let us return and visit the believers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. And Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark. But Paul decided not to take with them one who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not accompanied them in the work. This disagreement became so sharp that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. So, this is major drama as two BFFs decide to call it quits. But why? It's not completely clear, but I've got a 
suspicion it has something to do with Barnabas' call to be an encourager. Barnabas was loyal to Mark because Barnabas' work with Paul had been complete. Paul had surpassed Barnabas in terms of his maturity in the spirit. And now Barnabas had another call to mentor this younger Christian named Mark. Now, Mark had a lot of potential, but he was very young and kind of green, new to Jesus, but he had spent a lot of time with Peter, who was Jesus' right-hand man and the first preacher in the church. Peter had crashed with Mark at Mark's mom's house after Peter busted out of prison. It's a long story, but that's what happened. Peter busted out of jail and then went and spent time with Mark. He told Mark all of his stories. Presumably Mark, who was educated, wrote them down. And so Barnabas and Mark cross paths and Barnabas hears God telling him to mentor this younger guy. Paul is not down with that. Paul is mad at Mark because Mark deserted them at some point in the past. And this becomes such a heated thing that it's irreconcilable for Barnabas because of God's call on Barnabas' life. And so Barnabas takes Mark And for 10 years, Barnabas pours his life into Mark's in Cyprus. Now, that's not not Cyprus, Texas. Uh, No one stays in Cyprus, Texas for 10 years. Um, That would be too much. And and, I'm sorry, some of you like Cyprus, apparently. So the... (laughs) This is what happens. I'm going to give you a little idea of the the timeline here, okay? Um, the, The timeline is that Barnabas and Paul, they broke up in 48 AD, more or less, the year 48. So Barnabas then spends the 10 years in Cyprus with Mark. And after that 10 years, Mark writes the first gospel, the gospel of Mark, based on the stories Peter told him. Now, the question is, without Barnabas's uh, encouragement, would we ever have the gospel of Mark? Without Barnabas's answering the call on his heart, even though it meant saying goodbye to his BFF, Paul, you know, would we have the gospel of Mark? And then you can take it further and say, well, the gospel of Mark is the gospel that Matthew and Luke used to write their gospels. They base their stories on Mark's uh, foundation. So what would we be without if Barnabas had not answered his call? See, sometimes you don't even know what's at stake when you sense the spirit leading you into some new direction. And we've got to be ready to say yes to those leadings, even though it means we have to break up with a friend because God's leading us in a new direction. But here's the unless. Very important. Very important. For those of you who've lived whole different lives and now God's calling you to follow Jesus and live a different life, here's your unless. It's okay to consider breaking up unless you can invite and convince and compel your friend to come along with you on the journey. Because far be it from us to underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit to speak into our friend's life. Sometimes you don't even know how God has spoken into their life and prepared their heart to be invited. And if we just assume they're going to think it's stupid that you're following Jesus now without extending any invitation, without saying, hey, come check this out with me, then we sell ourselves short. But more importantly, we sell God short and his ability to speak to our friends. Don't miss the opportunity to invite a friend to join you on the journey before cutting them out and making some kind of a a, a rash decision. Third and finally, uh, biblically it might be okay to to consider the end of a friendship when there is uh, a matter of principle involved. By principle I mean conviction or belief 
something uh, that you're staking your life on. When your principles don't align, you might uh, consider ending a friendship. I'll give you an example. I, I was raised in East Texas. Some of you might know this, the sticks of Northeast Texas. I'm from a town called Red Lick, Texas. In Red Lick, Texas, there were 200 and 250 people in the town where I grew up, uh, when, when I was growing up there, and, uh, and most of us uh, are family. <laughs> and uh, it, made, it made dating a little complicated uh, in my younger years. Um, uh, it didn't bother some of my family, but it bothered me. So anyway, I'll move on from that. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's just, it's a reality in small town East Texas that there are, there are problems with race relations. My elementary school was 100% white. My home church was 100% white when I was going there. I didn't interact with or cross paths with or befriend uh, another, like a black child until I was seven or eight years old. And even then, even in junior high and high school where the schools were more diverse, it was very clear that the white kids came from one world and the black kids came from another. There was literally train tracks and they came from the other side of the tracks. And so, if I'm honest, the things I heard and the jokes I laughed at as a kid, the things I was taught, even in a, in a covert way, you know, not, not super overt, but the things I absorbed as a child were not healthy in some ways. Now, I left that town, went to college, went further away for seminary, and at every pass on my journey, I developed different ideas and new ideas about uh, God's love for all people and equality and things like that. And then God calls me to preach the gospel, and I'm finding myself preaching to a diverse crowd, serving communion and baptizing people of every color. But I'm holding on to these friendships back home. Every time I go home, I put that mask on, and I pretend like I'm still from Red Lick, you know? But I began to realize that as my, as my views were evolving, my close friends back home, their views were not always <laughs> evolving. And this became abundantly clear during the 2008 presidential election on Facebook. That was not, that was not a pretty time for my Facebook feed. Uh, and I had some heart-to-heart -heart conversations with people, and it became clear that in a couple of cases there was not going to be any movement there, and so I had to break some friendships off. And that was really hard to do, because to me, they weren't just you know racists or whatever, they were childhood friends. And going back to Red Lick got a lot more awkward at that point, but it was the right thing to do, because I couldn't in good conscience stand up on Sunday and preach the gospel and then have these friendships going on as if I'm giving permission for that sort of hatefulness. you know. So it was the right thing to do. It was a hard thing to do. You might find yourself in a similar place. You might find yourself uh, in, a, in a place where uh, your convictions in Jesus just are not compatible with some uh, relationships that you are in. And that is a very tough place to be. And uh, my prayers are with you as you uh, go through that part of, of your journey. Uh, sometimes those friendships need to end. <clears throat> Here's the last unless, the most important Unless Sometimes your friendships can end based on principle, unless your principle becomes a stumbling block for someone else. Now that phrase, stumbling block, is a biblical metaphor that Jesus uses quite often. It's also in the Old Testament. 
And basically what it means is when it alludes to when religious people like me, we make the path to God more complicated than it should be. It's religious people putting obstacles in people's way as they try to find God in their life, in their journey. So Jesus spoke a lot about stumbling blocks, and I'm telling you, nothing made him angrier than religious guys putting stumbling blocks in non-religious people's path. As they try to find God, they get tripped up by the religious stuff we throw in their way. He had a lot to say about this. And one of the harshest things that he said is from the Gospel of Matthew. And I believe we have this for the screens. Matthew 23, verses 13 to 15. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Those are religious guys. He says, hypocrites. For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. That's another word for convert, a single convert. And when he becomes a convert, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. This is not Hallmark card Jesus right here, you guys. Jesus lays it out there because nothing angers him more than religious folks laying uh, stumbling blocks in the way of those who would come uh, to know him. Uh, uh, And so I, I wish I could say today that we Christians got the message, that we've figured this out. But if we're honest... And many of us still, we, we still haven't quite gotten it. We still haven't quite figured out how to live in such a way that tells the world that Jesus came to make knowing God easier, not harder. Jesus came to make it possible for more people to know the love and grace and mercy of God, not less people. I'm not sure we're... We're getting that point across in popular culture. And I, I have known, and I have been this Christian, but I have known many Christians who would rather make a point than keep a friend. And it's what many people think Christians are supposed to do. One situation that keeps coming up in my conversations because of the culture wars going on right now uh, Came up again the other day. I was having coffee with with a friend, a young guy in uh, this congregation. And he was telling me about the situation that he's in. He said one of his best friends, one of his childhood friends, inner circle friends, came, came out of the closet to him a few years back. And now that friend is about to get married. And uh, he wanted to get uh, my opinion on this, uh, on this wedding because, uh, because he had decided that uh, he wasn't going. And he, he wanted my blessing, I think, in that. I think he wanted to be able to tell people that his pastor told him not to go, which is mighty big of him. Uh, it's pretty courageous, kind of convenient, actually. He wanted, you know, to be able to say it was me that, that told him not to, to attend this, this wedding. But I asked questions and found out these guys go way back. They really are inner circle friends. And so I asked him exactly what his reasons were for not attending one of his best friend's wedding. And he said the things you might expect. He said, it's just my beliefs, you know. I believe what the Bible says about this issue, and I believe, uh, you know, if I go, it will be like an endorsement. I don't want my presence there to, to look like I'm accepting of something that I'm really struggling with. 
and he was really sincere about it. He was nice about it. It wasn't he wasn't necessarily being you know hateful or, or bigoted, but because I stalked him on Facebook before we met, which your pastors do uh, by the way, so uh, that's how we know what to pray for. Um, But I knew that six months before that, he had gone to Bali, Bali, whatever, to attend a wedding, a Hindu wedding. And it was very much a Hindu ceremony. So I asked him about it. I said, did you ever feel conflicted about going to a Hindu wedding? Did it cross your mind for a moment that by attending a Hindu wedding, you're endorsing Brahman or the Hindu religion or your betraying your Christian faith. And he said, no, it never crossed my mind. I said, why did you go to that wedding? He said, because they invited me and I love them. And he saw kind of where I was going with this particular conversation. And I said to him, what are your highest hopes for this close friend of yours? And he said, all I want is for him to know and accept the love of God in this life. And I said, you're your strategy for him to know and accept the love of God is to not go to his wedding in the name of God. And he said, so you're telling me to go to the wedding. And I said, no, I'm telling you that you should pray about it because that's what preachers say when we've been, we don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> he said, but if I go, shouldn't I go and explain to him that I still don't agree? And I said, he knows you don't agree. Don't go ruin his wedding day by telling him you don't agree again. He knows. You say your highest hope for him is that he knows the love of God in Jesus. I can't think of a better way for him to know the love of God than by seeing you, his best friend at his wedding, even though he knows you have major reservations about this. What a testimony. That is the love of Jesus at work. Because here's what happens, here's the alternative, and it's important that we know this, because I see the bad side of this all the time, and people that maybe aren't in ministry, you don't see it as much, but I see it and I hear the horror stories. Here's what happens if he doesn't go to that friend's wedding. The friendship's over, and that friend of his, that ex-friend of his, is now farther from God than he's ever been because his best friend didn't come to his wedding because God told him not to. And I know this is a hot-button issue, and I'm going to catch some heat for this, and some of you may not come back, whatever. But look, I am tired of getting emails and seeing stories about people my age and younger who are giving up on God and Jesus and the church because of Christians who would rather be right in an argument than be Jesus on the cross. It is wearing me out. And I think we're missing the point when we do that. And Paul outlines it for us really briefly in Romans chapter 14, verse 13. He says, therefore, Christians, let us stop passing judgment on each other. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. Guys, sometimes it's a good idea to end a relationship based on principle, but other times it's better to stay and be an example of God's love in Jesus when times are hard. 
As Christians, if we know anything, we know that love often means staying even when you don't feel like it. Sometimes we know love means loving someone even when we don't agree or we feel like they're being unlovable. And we know that because the Christian faith is founded on the idea that when we were unlovable and when he knew that most of us would never love him back, Jesus still came and loved us in the most profound way possible. That's the whole foundation of what we believe to be true. And so what does it mean for you to live that kind of love in your relationships? Sometimes we hold on. We hold on because Jesus loved us when we were unlovable. In those other occasions, guys, when your heart is broken and your relationship's broken beyond repair, and it's time to give your relationship a break or a separation or an end. I want you to know that my heart is with you. And last year, I had to end a relationship with, outside of my marriage, my best friend. And we were best friends for years. But man, I, I'm not gonna get into it, but the pain was too deep. There was too much betrayal, too many lies and half-truths, and I, I just couldn't keep going with it. And I hope that it's a temporary thing. It might not be. I still pick up my phone and try to text him. I still catch myself <clears throat> kind of getting wrapped up in emotion and praying when I think about the friendship that we lost. But I've learned two things in moments like these, and I hope that these things help you find solace if you're facing a similar decision or going through something similar. I found it to be true that God's love is stronger and bigger than you ever imagined that it was, and that if you trust his love, it will get you through these times of struggle and doubt. The other thing that's more tangible and palpable that I've discovered is that when one person in your inner circle is gone, the others will tighten up the circle around you if you let them. And they will form a protective hedge around you and they will love you a little more than you thought possible until you're back to being yourself again. You can lean on God's love. You can lean on your inner circle. I think it's important as we close this part of the sermon to remember that as Christians, we're called to be honest and, and tell the truth and we're called to say what needs to be said. But we can always say what needs to be said with redemption and hope in our minds and in our hearts. Everything that you say to a friend, even if it's in the breakup conversation, should be said with forgiveness in your heart, with grace and mercy in your heart, with the hopes that one day your friend will be renewed and redeemed. One day you will be renewed and redeemed. Maybe even one day your relationship can be redeemed because this is the kind of God we serve. This is the kind of love that we are called to live and share.